This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news, data and analysis over at businessofapps.com. Welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. On this show, we invite app industry professionals to cover various topics. We promise to do our best to keep it both insightful but brief. In this episode, we have Margie Abelt, Chief RevX Officer. You don't get to hear such a title quite often. You mixed the title and the company name. Margie, welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. Thank you, Art. Thanks for having me today. All right. Thank you for coming. I know it's late in Singapore, so I appreciate your time a lot. Okay, let's set the stage first. Think about it. When you're buying any digital product or service, you have two options. You pay for it or get it for free, quote-unquote, and being exposed to ads in that product or service. Both models have its pros and cons, but the latter option has to do with something we call in a society privacy. Specifically, when opting to get it for free, you get your consent. Ideally, you should be given your consent and you should be aware of the consequence of your action to collect data about you. The sample Apple released the ATT framework, stands for App Tracking Transparency. That implies that all iOS app users from now on are given the choice to allow app developers collect data about the app use or reject it. If you're a consumer, you're cheering. If you're a Facebook, you're launching an ad campaign to show how presumably bad Apple treats small businesses. If you're an advertiser, you're scratching your head and think, okay, now what? So we thought that's a good question. Let's talk about it on the podcast. All right. Before anything else, let's talk about you, Margie. Tell us about yourself. What is your background in digital marketing? And I've read on your LinkedIn profile, you know, seven languages. Do you get a lot of chance to practice all seven these days? Yeah. Let's start with the languages. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So practicing seven languages is pretty pretty complicated. I mean, uh, at home, we speak actually three to four languages. So that helps, basically. So we speak German, Portuguese, English, some Bahasa as well at home. So that helps. My children are learning Mandarin at school. So unfortunately, I I cannot keep up with them on on that stage. But yeah, but for the other European languages, uh, which I speak, uh, I need to search a little bit and I find some people either in our team or in our friend circle where I can like speak and, and practice uh, other languages. And of course, the, the whole purpose of it is communication, right? So uh, I learned those languages because I was living in those countries. So like just to tell a bit more about myself, I mean, given that this is all about advertising, I started advertising and marketing in the 90s, so 1998 to 1999, when it was still pretty old school, the four Ps, Kotler, etc. And then I went abroad. So I was born in Germany. I lived in Germany. I moved around and like went to a lot of different cities and then ultimately I went abroad to the UK and my English was pretty bad at that time so uh, yeah and obviously it got better then and from there I moved to Spain then my Spanish got better you know from there I moved to well I was working Portugal as well my wife is Portuguese and my Portuguese got better then we both moved to work to Italy finally uh, I started digging out my old book to study Italian and my Italian got better. So it was really this journey and the need to connect or the will to connect with people that made me learn those languages. I'm not a natural talent, but uh, we, uh, me and my wife love traveling and we've been living in, in five, six different countries. Now we are in uh, Singapore together with our, with our family. 
And throughout this trajectory, so when, when did I get into digital marketing from, let's say, traditional marketing? Uh, it only started in uh, 2014, like at full scale. So before that, I was working in management consulting and in traditional industries where you have tangible products. I was dealing, of course, with marketing or digital marketing, but not really in its full scale. Uh, but when I started at, uh, working at NSSPs as a MD for, for Germany, Austria, Switzerland, I was uh, immersing there at its best, let's say. I was learning a lot in a very short time because it's a pretty complex ecosystem and it's very fast moving, meaning we always need to upscale our knowledge because knowledge turns around and there's new standards and then you need to adapt and then the industry has already moved on. So I, I think this is why I'm still in this industry. So first SSP, then mobile mobile app data, then Remerge, now Revex. So I'm really, really focusing on this ecosystem of apps because it's a very predominant ecosystem and uh, it's very interesting. It's fast moving. It's something everybody uses, everybody needs. And uh, because it is so fast moving and it has all its complexities of which uh, we're talking, uh, going to talk about a few of them today. Yep. That's, that's, what, that's why I'm here um, and I'm trying to do my best to contribute uh, to clients, to our teams, uh, and uh, yeah, also to anybody who uh, wants to be educated. So from what I'm getting, you're the real uh, citizen of the world, living in so many countries and learning a little language. Uh, now I do envy you to you because uh, I myself know only three and, you know, on top of Russian and Ukrainian English, it's pretty much like the only language outside of the kind of a convenient native set of languages I was brought up with. So yeah, seven languages and being able to practice at least part of these uh, set is really, <laughs> that's impressive. And it's great that you be able to present all the, some of these languages to your child at home. That's, that's how it should be like, if you can, if you have a chance to being, uh, to being raised with several languages, that's the best way to know these languages down the road, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. The, the, the fun part is going to be when our children are speaking in languages which their parents don't understand. So I think that will happen <laughs> right. soon, basically. Yeah, because yeah, they're, they're on that age that they're, they're really better set up for learning something new. They're quicker, more agile, because that's, that's awesome. All right, let's get back to the mobile world. And first of all, tell me about the Revex. Uh, give me a quick, kind of a quick sketch of what the company is about. Yes. Uh, so Revex, as, as the slogan said, like uh, made for growth, built for app marketers. So the Revex platform, I mean, it's it's from a technical perspective, a demand side platform. As a whole, I mean, as we look at it as an app uh, growth marketing platform. Built for marketers, actually, there's a self-service function. So everybody could work with the platform also in-house. But the truth is we are, I think, delivering 99% managed service because everybody wants also our expertise. So as an aggregate, it's, it's technology, it's people, and it's also reach, both in terms of, let's say, how we operate in terms of the campaigns that we're running, also where we have offices and where we can meet clients. And we're trying, let's say, our best every day to really support app marketeers with the constant challenges they are facing in real time. So we're in this, I'm always saying we're in a real-time business. Everything is happening every second. And that's both for deliverables to the marketeers that are trying to do a good job for the apps, as well as for us that need to run uh, the system is at all at all times in, in the best possible way. So you guys have offices in uh, multiple locations, I presume. Folks in those locations speak different languages as well, right? Correct, correct. Yeah. So we have uh, three offices in East Asia, so in China, in Korea, and Japan. 
we have an office in Singapore, we have somebody in Jakarta, we have three offices in India as well. So people are, I mean, we're anyway in a remote world, but in, mm -hmm. in this case for us, of course, as a, as a medium-sized organization, we are working across borders and in different languages and different cultures and markets. And I think what makes it so special for us or in our organization is because everybody is very, let's say, open-minded to connect and mm -hmm. to be available, to be responsive and to make sure that these potential barriers that we might see because we are working across borders and across cultures, that these barriers are as low as possible. And, and I mean, that's not easy. Uh, so, I mean, we're trying to both appreciate that we can do this in this size because it's uh, more flexible, but at the same time, of course, it also poses a challenge if a small team is very dispersed. On the other hand, we need to be where our clients are and we need to understand what they need. So the, more, the closer we are to them, the easier it is for us, although we are also working with clients very far away. Right. So, yeah, it's definitely uh, on one side, it's a challenge. On the other side, that's the benefit for because for some people, they do appreciate the flexibility of being able to work remotely and not sitting in the office, especially these days when you're kind of a, ready to this transition better in a way better than other folks for whom it was a really drastic, you know, uh, change from working from office, you know, five or six days a week, sometimes for just sitting at home. But you've been working like this for sometime before right yes correct correct yeah, yeah all right so since apple apple introduced att framework this april i already heard a lot of talk about it from from the, for the most part the assessment was given uh, you know kind of on the extremes of the argument either this is great long overdue it's about time or oh my god we're doomed where do you stand on this spectrum <laughs> I think the world is pretty much okay from that angle, yeah. It's mm -hmm. it's just marketing, yeah. But then, I mean, if we think about it in a very sober way, everything still exists. Channels exist, advertising exists, users that enjoy advertising, hopefully, because we try to make advertising better and better every day, right? That also exists. So what has changed now? What has changed is that for some players, the metrics that we're relying on have uh, disappeared or or have changed. So it's it's more like the a new adaptation to new workflows and processes that is basically coming upon the industry, and some are not so happy with it. Some are very happy with it because they say, "Hey, that levels the ground. You know, we can start from scratch, compete all on eye level again." Um, so there's there's a lot of like people that are that are very very content with this disruption uh, that basically happened. Yeah, when when it comes to privacy um, and or what Apple basically said, and I think there's another question which I'm not going to speak about yet, which is like budget allocations after ATT was deployed. So when it comes to privacy, I mean Apple is certainly not the f uh, not the first uh, institution or company that tries to. Uh, promote privacy one or the other way. In this case, um, they basically disabled certain data transmission on their platform, which they can control. But of course, let's say uh, everybody knows GDPR or CCPA or other frameworks. And also yeah. before that, there were certain frameworks in place. Now it's just a question of uh, uh, privacy regulations enough, basically, to serve the the consumer and the individual, or or we have to improve this. No? So ATT is just another element that comes into play and impacts privacy to some extent yeah uh, but we can also discuss is that really best way or is there any other interest basically involved to implement uh, att yeah i see what you mean totally that's that's just it's definitely not the oh my god we're doomed i think like a, a kind of a 
uh, leaning towards the first uh, saying, which is it's long overdue. But it's interesting, like eight, seven years ago, when I had a chance to be part of a marketing team, I I was the guy who brought up Facebook ads to the team, telling them, guys, this is the tool that will be superior to anything else. And at that point, I didn't think about, you know, behavioral targeting versus contextual targeting. And for me, like, you know, for the guy who was you know part of the marketing projects, that was just a great tool to advertise uh, any app on the plate. And I didn't think like about any consequence at that point, like pretty much, I guess, anybody in the industry, like for me was the, um, the ultimate goal. How can you know for sure that people who picking up the phone and looking at the ad in the app on a website will be interesting in what you have to say? Like, if you know more and more about that person, the chances are your app, your um, ad relevancy will go up. So the more you know, the better we'll be advertising. And like the downside of that process wasn't like on my radar at all. Now, years later, I can see the difference. And uh, I hear the argument that contextual advertising isn't that, you know, it's still a good option. I don't know why if you're looking for a hammer and you insert the ad that sells you a hammer is a bad thing. Like why this model doesn't work anymore. Why well, should know about, you know, any, why should know uh, personal information for the, about that person to be able to sell him or her that, that hammer. So yeah, I think we're not definitely not doomed. We're just being aware of like how the system should work. It should be more balanced. We, we've gone too far one end of getting more and more information about people basically without their, their consent. People were not aware that this happening. To this day, many people, to be honest, don't care. They're there to consume in their daily problems. Okay, let's switch to the next topic, which is this. I think right now many people would like to hear a specific insight about how to actually run and measure data-driven mobile performance ad campaigns. So how can they do that? You're asking specifically in context with LAT audiences on iOS or in general? When we, when we address in general, starting with the iOS. Yes. Actually, having said so, I mean, even on iOS, it's still general to some extent, right? Because we IDFA is not that, it's just opt-in, opt-out. So it, right. it, it, it either comes and goes or it basically has a different pattern across geos or apps and so on. No? As we know, uh, many apps had not basically prepared the opt-in. So the ATT prompt, they were delaying it because they wanted to figure out what will be the opt-in rates, how are apps preparing that, can they ask before the ATT prompt comes up for actual permission? Because you might remember initially it was like Apple would say, this field comes up and it's just this field and you cannot change anything and it's just going to ask whether you creepy advertisers are going to follow users, right? But now, I mean, we see the install an app and we get a nice picture, hopefully. I mean, whichever app is not doing it yet, it's bad because you should now onboard your client or your, your, your customer. And it should say, look, I will ask you now for your permission, please. And I will use it for this, this, this. Please make it happen because you know there's a value exchange. Huh? And then the ATT prompt comes. Right. Yeah. And then the prompt comes. And I think that's more fair play because the user can have a more informed decision versus getting a standard field. And then he doesn't know. Yes, no. Okay. First, I don't know. Right. 
But if he does yes, because he knows I'm getting now content for free, I mean, that's always been the case, right? User, right. Or viewers have been accepting. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the, the free internet. Right? How did the free internet or free content come along? Because you allowed advertising on the pages, which would sponsor the content, yeah, which is fair, right? I mean, you don't want to pay a subscription. Okay, the content has to finance itself. You want to have good content or bad content, no? And then it was about the design, right? Because if something is cluttered, and I can't view the content anymore because the balance is not right between advertising content. I would just not visit the page anymore, visit the app anymore. So the app would improve. So this is really natural. And uh, so when it comes to now um, how to measure campaigns, so we have an in iOS, we have audiences that are visible because they've opted in. And we have audiences that are invisible. And when we say visible, they must have opted, opted in both on the advertiser app as well as on the publisher app, right? So I can, again, match like pre, pre-SK uh, ad network, pre um, LAT, uh, that's how we were matching, right? The user with an, with a bit request. So you show an ad to somebody who had been identified as relevant basis, the device ID. So then we are like in, in the, let's say pre world or in the Android world where mostly device ID is available. And I'm just measuring by an MMP. The app marketer would say, Hey, I'm happy. Nothing has changed. No. The problem starts when I want to scale and I'm encountering issues because I can't rely on the device ID. Now we have SK Ad Network, a sort of like monopolist MMP rolled up by Apple and it serves then all the other MMPs or directly the advertiser or publisher with information. And um, here comes the issue with the functionalities of that MMP. It's just not being as functional or it is not yet as functional, maybe will be, as the MMPs that are currently or had been in use by the app marketer. The app marketer, hence, has now much more rudimentary tool at hand, can measure less, and it's all in the name of privacy. Let's see there. It's been improving step by step. So I think Apple is moving a little bit further to enable, again, the ecosystem. Yeah. But uh, in the meantime, of course, advertising budgets have shifted. No? So uh, this is a maybe, um, yeah, again, I think there's another question about this. But of course, we're, we're trying to understand where can I still measure? Where can I still target? Okay, I'll go to Apple's platform. Yeah. When it comes to pure measurement, um, there are different ways. No? So I can measure basis the device ID. I can use SKI network. There is still some fingerprinting in play. And I think actually not insignificant amounts, yeah, because it seems not that it seems not that, that Apple has totally policed the ecosystem and is clamping down on any type of usage. Uh, and we can see this as well. I think there are a few um, blog posts about this as well in the industry that fingerprinting is then enabled or device IDs are enabled via the MMP itself, yeah. So I think part of the industry is probably still operating on some sort of fingerprinting with IP addresses and and user agent, et cetera. And it works almost as well as using the device ID, at least in the short term, yeah. So um, this is another measurement option, which is currently a gray zone, but it's actually happening, yeah. And then if we totally discard this, so uh, we don't say we are moving in the gray zone, we either do SCAD network or nothing. And then, of course, we can come to incrementality measurement, which is kind of the purest form of measurement. Yeah? The problem with incre- incrementality measurement so far is there are many methodologies. App marketers are not generally skilled on incrementality measurement. Yeah, and then it takes more time. Yeah, it's not so practical. I cannot switch on and immediately some attributions and immediately get after day one, after day seven, some actionable data I can present also to my own management. Maybe I need more time. I need to set it up. I need to make sure the test and control groups are clean. I need to run the experiment. I need to see it statistically significant. Then I need to evaluate the results and hopefully there's some uplift because if not, the marketeer is left with doing the whole job again because this is just testing. This is not like 
action. It's not like I'm running the campaign. I got results. I'm still testing and trying to understand how I need to run it. No? And I think there's always been the problem of this very pure form of incrementality measurement, which is the situation with or without an ingredient. Yeah. And where I would like to see that with the ingredient, which is then the ad campaign, I'm actually performing better. I get some uplift that I would not get if I left everything organic. No? And then I would want to understand how much am I paying for this? This is the purest form of incrementality measurement where the marketer understands value. But again, it's too complicated to let too, too few people understand it, but it would be perfectly applicable to the uh, iOS world and where users have totally opted out. You know? So this is about measurement. The other part, just very briefly, is about targeting, right? So one thing is that I'm I, that I do incrementality measurement and I, I measure something. Yeah, so I go through the let's call it hustle of setting it up. But then also, how do I target users? Now, there, of course, I'm not left anymore with the user history that I have recorded, maybe basis a device ID, but I am left with contextual targeting or even on-device computing. Let's say yeah, on-device computing meaning I'm using sensors on the device to understand a certain state of state of, not state of mind, but state of uh, physical state of a person, yeah? Is somebody reading? Is the device upright? Is somebody walking? Um, uh, maybe running with listening to some music or, or, or somewhere in the metro. So on-device computing is another way how to provide more contextual data about the status of the device and combine this, for example, with published information I said, okay, this person has been visiting now the entertainment section on my news app, for example. No? And then, of course, we come to the situation where you're asking, do I really need to know whether you bought a hammer in the past to sell your hammer? No, maybe mm -hmm. I'm in the DIY section and it's very appropriate now to offer you a very nice hammer that you didn't plan on buying, but you find it so beautiful that you're getting it now. So it's actually very meaningful in that sense no? and uh, less, less, let's say, creepy than following you around the corner and then asking whether you need a hammer. No? You know what, using the sensors on the device, something that didn't occur to me that it's actually, I don't want to say work around, but yeah, it's actually a work around like a middle ground between getting personal information about somebody or being just totally blind, knowing nothing about him. You may get a, get a picture, like at what point it will be relevant for me to show that ad, knowing that somebody is using the device in a particular way. You have no idea who or she is. You have no idea like what she's doing, but you know the device is you know in a specific state, which fit or don't fit to your ad, ad you want to present to that person. That's actually a really smart way of uh, targeting, I think. And I think when people react on the SCAD network introduction, as with many things in our life, we're always giving a mix of you know emotional and rational. For the most part, emotional reaction, to be honest. When people are having a hard time trying to understand, okay, uh, where is the fraud in my data? Which um, uh, ads were actually served? Which are ads were somebody trying to just to squeeze to me and making the case that that's, those ads, impressions were legit, but in fact, they're not. And having all these you know problems on, on their mind, all of a sudden, Apple gives them one more. Uh, kind of hassle, at least in the short term, for them to figure out quite, quite uh, understandably, um, emotionally, they're giving a reaction, yeah, or it didn't. I think I, I know why people are reacting that way. But Maybe having said so, I mean, the, as you said, like there's so many challenges and then there's one big challenge more, right? But that's ultimately, I mean, if you look at the Luma landscape now, or how many DSPs, just that DSPs are out there, right? A lot, right? Why are they all there, right? 
it's what I mentioned before. So what is Revex now? Revex is more than just a DSP. We provide services, although marketers could self-serve themselves. And then there's this in-housing trend, but nobody's in-housing. Why? I have too much to do. I need help, right? Because I want to focus on my core, which is strategizing and thinking about how I run the campaign or maybe talk to my creative team about the campaign, like um, creatives that I want to put out, you know, and, and, and so on. So that's why where I want to have help from a specialist that I can rely on to run the technology for me. You know? So service is incredibly important to actually also in this case, remove this additional, let's say, challenge uh, from the desk of a busy market. Totally, totally. The other important question I want to bring up is this, uh, what are the best practices to use third-party data for audience targeting and actually complying with the new privacy framework? Because for pretty much, I don't know, the last five, six years, people were relying on the third-party data from Facebook, from Google. Now, when with the introduction of iOS 14.5 and iOS 15, SCAD network, ATT framework, but there's a shift for people when they actually need to rely on first-party data. They have to be able to gather the data for um, audience targeting. So how, how, how can they do that? Uh, launching a campaign using first-party data to target their audience and comply with a new privacy framework. Got it, yeah. So for Revex in particular, yeah, like uh, most of our campaigns are app growth campaigns for user acquisition and retargeting. We do also some performance branding, we call it. In the nature of what we do, especially when you think about retargeting, retargeting cannot happen without first-party data. So uh, Revex has never been focused on third-party data, but always on first-party data because you need it. You need these audiences, the advertisers, to tell you who shall we retarget for you and, and why, you know, and how can we make it relevant. Uh, and then when we think about user acquisition, we think about our suppliers or SSPs. I mean, um, we're getting those bid requests from them of potential uh, users that could be interested in a certain app product, for example. So this is where, I mean, uh, the platforms touch the users, which is the advertiser, it publishes an app where users download and use the app. Could be e-commerce, could be travel, could be any type of app. Then there's the publisher app. Um, also being downloaded is also a product, but there's a value exchange which is based on advertising. So place advertising placements are being offered basically to the advertiser. And uh, on these two ends, consent has to be acquired from the user. Now, that's why we have data privacy laws that require that those data controllers, um, this is where the user basically comes on board, um, are getting content from the user. And when the user consents, then basically the information can be passed to a data processor like it is, for example, RevX. Yeah? So we, we comply with the strict regulations around data processing, which is security or right to forget the right for information also for the users, et cetera. Um, but we are processing data of users or we get to see users that have already provided content. The ones that have not provided content will not be processed by a platform like Revex. No? So I think it's actually pretty straightforward and pretty simple. There's a lot of laws uh, around it. There's a lot of things to read, a lot of things to comply with, you know, in terms of data security infrastructure. But the mechanism is relatively simple, yeah? Guard a user's privacy and also allow him to ask for information as well as to forget him or her, right? Got it. Now, I, I think last month, Financial Times estimated that Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter, and YouTube collectively lost around 10 billion because of the introduction mm -hmm. of ATT framework and scan network from Apple. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts about it? Do you think it's a short-term effect or not? 
Yeah, now we come to the thing which we wanted to talk about already before. Yes, I mean, this move, is it really a privacy move or what type of move is it? Yeah, so yeah, whether it was primarily intended to just increase revenues, but I mean, Apple was supposedly not focusing on advertising revenues per se, right? I mean, they're focusing on other things in terms, uh, in order to grow, right? But still, the advertising revenue grew significantly because people were saying, okay, I can't be efficient anymore on the platforms that were needed device IDs. Now I need to go to Apple itself because they still have the information, of course. So it's like, hey, everybody else doesn't have the information, but I mean, I have, I keep it, I still have it, right? So this is already the, let's say, unfair part. And here we're looking into strategic play. It's not about primarily user privacy. It's a strategic play and even getting more users on their hardware where people would say, oh, if I have an Apple product, you know, I'm private. And this is a this is a mistake. Right? It's, it's not it's not it's not what the reality, right? I'm private if I behave in a way that keeps my private information safer. And the truth is, if you look out there, I mean, let's just look at usage of apps. I mean, people are spending more and more and more time online. Uh, so how how can people become more private if they spend more time on the internet where everything is about data? Yeah, it's impossible. So it's a contradiction by itself. Uh, so when it comes to the user, I have to think really clearly what I'm expecting from my idea to be private because most of the time I'm just not private and I'm in the future probably also less private. Yeah. And then when it comes to Apple, I see this majorly as a strategic play. They've been moving the entire ecosystem there, take more control. Yeah. Also in the sense of data, right? Because everything is channeled through SCAT network now. So, I mean, they are becoming the guy for advertising on on uh, iOS, and uh, I'm sure there's a there's a larger team brainstorming what what they can do next with uh, this type of control. No, right. You were also asking me whether I think this kind of changes. No, I yeah. mean who knows? Uh, because uh, first of all, Apple Apple is the gatekeeper. Um, so if they don't enable SCAD network more, or they clamp down on fingerprinting, for example, I mean, what can you do? Uh, they control this platform. Yeah? There's only so much you can do if things are are restricted. No, so I think the, uh, should uh, should this trend reverse? It depends whether the ecosystem stabilizes on regulations where people can still develop other products and functionalities and models on. And uh, if this is being allowed, then, I mean, progress should drive more balance again, no? But certainly, I would expect that Apple retains a larger share of um, the ad spend that it's, uh, that it's um, garnered until now. The notion of privacy uh, is not static. We just, people may not realize that, you know, privacy in a physical sense is really different from the privacy in the digital sense. Absolutely. And even though I totally agree that both should be respected, just like I'm, I'm expecting that nobody will broke my door and get into my apartment, start selling me something, <laughs> because they know about uh, me and they know that I'm at home right now. They know I am kind of a, being um, uh, in a good mood to be uh, pushed with some product. Um, but I, I'm, I'm expecting the same kind of yeah. respect on my privacy in a digital sense. But uh, this is when you uh, actually have a chance to think about the, the, these things. For the most part, I I just um, I see people being um, emerged into so many other problems that when it comes to privacy, 
I think many of them just don't get a chance to think about this on a daily basis. This this notion may be brought up to them by uh, Apple or some media publication when they get a chance to read an article, actually realize that there's something, there's some notion as a digital privacy and it's different. And what's it, what is the trade-off? So I think at point where, where I know for sure, okay, I'm sharing this data, I'm, I'm getting insurance this, this advantage, uh, there's some benefit I'm getting back from the information I provide. Just like, you know, with the maps, you have a chance to make the service better. If the application knows about your uh, movements and being able to be more efficient to provide you better route, more points of interest, et cetera. Mm. So we may come to the point where the, the whole thing will be balanced, but, you know, with the several billion people online right now and more coming in, yeah, although the, the trend kind of is slowing down because it's harder to penetrate the African market because the infrastructure is not there. But we're going to get more and more people online for sure. Yes. When I read some of the uh, suggestions um, about the Apple SCAD network, way to balance this triangle, product platform, advertiser, and consumer. That's a difficult question because uh, so we said like this was a strategic move. Apple wanted to improve just its market position, right? yeah. its leverage um, uh, on revenue through this move. Uh, let's say if, if we, we would claim that this was their first interest, now why should they improve a SCAD network? When we say improve, it's enabling competitors right, that are right now not able to basically consume those budgets because they're going to Apple, actually. So why should they do this? I mean, they shouldn't do this, except if there was some, some pressure uh, or some, some side effects or some externalities that would force them to do so. Now, so what we, one thing we've been talking about is the app ecosystem, where also um, some of these apps that, that form an, an integral and larger part of the ecosystem and that and users love it, love them, um, they are financed for advertising, for example. Yeah. So this was one big thing where um, they would say, okay, now these apps can't really uh, pay their R&D anymore, so they will just uh, not publish anymore as many apps or even shut down, et cetera. Users would say, I don't have the choice anymore in the app store. I may be buying Android phone because there I have app stores and app products with more diversity. You know? So this would be one theory. The other one would be the other apps that are not so dependent on advertising monetization, but more in-app purchases, but they cannot do retargeting anymore, which was certainly also one way how to keep users that were had downloaded the app already informed or make them reinstall because there's a new version out of that app product that might now re-interest them. Yeah? So all of this basically doesn't work anymore. How would they basically monetize? So given that, for example, retargeting yeah, is not a small part of, of the marketing budgets that are going there to promote the app ecosystem, it's certainly critical that there's, again, more enablement for the app market here that does not want only to invest into Apple's ad products and also Apple's ad, ad products only have that much scale, right? Yeah. So uh, I think what maybe Apple is trying to figure out is some sort of middle way where they are still, let's say, on the winning end of this change, but provide some balance to maximize the total scale um, of revenue that they can achieve within the Apple ecosystem, right? Including hardware 
So users must be happy to use the app ecosystem as well on uh, Apple hardware. So hardware, the app, the app store itself, and then of course advertising revenues. No, so I think this as a whole is a formula they're probably figuring out and they're taking it slowly, right? I mean, we have a scat network with measuring UA installs, but then only until some event, and then only in the in the next twenty four hours and delayed and all this stuff. So they made it as difficult as possible for marketers to get like instant and deep insights into how their campaigns are performing. Right? And it's about view through attribution. It's about viewability. It's like a lot of things there. They would have to add to basically uh, give an instrumentarium back to the app marketer so that they would say, okay, I can really steer my iOS campaigns, but not only through Apple, but also through other channels. And basically my product is profitable and effective and in terms of promotion again. Yeah. And uh, my business is going well in iOS, and I want to do the next app for the App Store. Right, right. You don't want to overdo and uh, just push away people from your platform you've been building for so many years. It would be yes. uh, like shooting you in your foot. All right, we've covered the major topic on the table, and I have just a few very quick short questions to you that I get to ask every guest on the show. And here they are. Question number one, what smartphone do you have now? Uh, have you been switching between iOS and Android or staying one side all the time? No, I've been switching. So my first, so my, I remember my dad's first mobile phone was a Ericsson. Mm-hmm. Long gone, right? Then my first one was a Motorola. Was an offer, but I could barely make phone calls because it was so expensive. But I was going to have a phone, you know? <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then... Uh, I've been switching forwards and back because I wanted to test initially. I've been, I've been uh, now right now I have Android and iOS. I mostly use uh, Apple phone at the moment in terms, but it's really like in terms of hardware, etc. So we like the product, but of course when it comes to flexibility on the um, uh, on the system itself, I mean Apple also in terms of using Apple devices, it's a closed ecosystem. Right, data transfer is a little bit difficult and so on, a bit tricky. It's a bit easier on Android. No? So right now I'm using both Android and iOS, and this is why I mean I've been saying on other occasions as well that I'm actually opting in into everything because I want to keep up to date where's running what, <laughs> so professional reasons, but also because I want to see relevant ads. No? Imagine you've left your smartphone at home for some reason. What would be the most missing feature for you? I That wouldn't happen to me, most likely, because I wouldn't be able to call a cab. <laughs> <laughs> so I can walk back home. But no, I mean, uh, recently it happened, so I, I, I forgot my phone in the cab. Oh. And the cab drove away. But I have a mirror. So I have a phone, a second phone that has exactly the same information as the phone that I left in there. So I was able to retrieve basically the cab number and could call the cab and so on and so on. But I mean, it's tricky nowadays. Yeah. And I mean, you can't get anywhere here because I'm in Singapore, you're getting tracked, right? And if you don't have your phone with you, you can't basically activate the tracker. You can't enter a mall. You can't enter a restaurant. Um, so it's very difficult to move without a phone these days or any other uh, adequate device. Yeah. So I wouldn't get far, basically. Yeah, so basically that's really hard to imagine a situation where it actually may happen. What new app technologies are you most excited about? Both hardware and software. Is there something you would like to see on the phone you're um, using on a daily basis, something practical, useful, that it's not there yet? Oh, that's also a difficult question. And my answer is definitely not meta. Yeah. <laughs> so that's... <laughs> 
I think uh, I think we are doomed if uh, then because then virtual reality becomes a reality, right? Imagine people are spending the same time they're spending on apps right now in something like Meta. You would oh, yeah. you would leave Earth basically. Yeah. Yeah. So, but otherwise, I mean, uh, there's always things here and there. It's not like this one thing that I'm missing or that it's like this, this, uh, these marginal improvements that you see everywhere, right? This new feature here, new functionality there. And and let's say a product has hurt their users and integrated something else. Right. Uh, For example, when you, uh, one good example is ride hailing apps now, because in Singapore, we don't have a car. So we're using cabs all the time and uh, using three major companies and, you can just compare how they're developing the product when they're adding something, when things become more practical. No? This is, I think, nice. So I'm appreciating the effort that all these app publishers are making to keep users like, like me happier. Got it. All right. That was my last question, but there's just one more. How can people get in touch with you and get more information about what you do? All right. That's very easy. Martia Abelt. I'm maybe the only person in the world that has that name combination <laughs> because <laughs> <That's there. laughs> so find me please on, on uh, LinkedIn and I'm happy to uh, connect and uh, answer questions or be of help. Yeah. Great. Thanks a lot for your time and coming on our podcast, Margie. Thank you. Thank you very much. Art. I really enjoyed it. Great. Bye-bye. And that was Margie Abbott, Chief Rev Officer, RevX Officer at RevX. To listen to more episodes, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. Just search for Business of Apps and you will be able to find us easily. We release episodes on Mondays, so subscribe and you will get the chance to get the episodes of the podcast on your smartphone, tablet or computer as soon as we release them. And please don't forget to leave us a review on comment on iTunes. It is highly appreciated. And all episodes will also be available on businessofapps.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Business of Apps podcast. For more, head on over to businessofapps.com.